0: Hey, everybody, I'm Garrett.
1: And I'm Melissa.
0: We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie.
1: Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us.
0: We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys.
1: This is Growing Deeper.
0: Hey, guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll Make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcasts and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of Podcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know uh shoot us an email we'd love to hear from you now on to the podcast
1: welcome back this week we're going to be jumping into Nahum 2 and 3 so we're going to be finishing up Nahum just after two short weeks um this is going to be a lot of scripture reading um but a lot of it is just kind of I don't know. There's not things. There's not as much as of jumping into the nitty gritty, maybe. Yeah, as it's some not, things we've read.
0: This is definitely not going to be your typical Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- this is just something that you don't typically read. You you've never heard these scriptures from the pulpit. I can guarantee that. <laughs> uh, so that's that's something that's going to be new, different. It's going to be uncomfortable, probably. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna try to dive into it, try to be honest with the scriptures, and see where it takes us.
1: Before we get into the heavy stuff, though, let's do some some quick questions. So, what are some of your favorite television shows growing up?
0: So for me, growing, whenever I was I was growing up, I think so that was a big heyday of sitcoms. Oh um, yeah. And so I was huge into a lot of sitcoms. Uh, I was a little bit into Full Full House. I really loved Family Matters. Yeah. Urkel there, okay. was awesome.
1: There was TGIF. Do you remember that? No. well, that's not a show. That's every Friday night, four sitcoms came on. That was when the new episodes came out. And it was like Full House, Boy Meets World, Family Matter. Uh, I think they rotate. I mean, some of, you know, eventually new house. Yeah, see, I didn't
0: have like like, Disney stuff. So I remember remember Boy Meets World, but I could only watch that at my grandmother's house. Oh. Well, we didn't have Disney.
1: Disney except for on like certain weekends where it was like... Oh. We got Disney. I think it was on ABC or something. Huh. Oh, maybe so. But anyways, yeah. So those were those were yeah, mine.
0: Yeah, sitcoms mm. were uh, were big. Um, but I would say my favorite, my very favorite show growing up was definitely Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Mm. I loved Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and I think everybody did. Everybody knows the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, you know, West uh, West Philadelphia. I was like, I didn't <laughs> like, actually mean to say that. It just kind of rolled out. Um, <laughs> A- anyways, this, this
1: is the part of the podcast where Garrett, was born and raised <laughs> on the playground
0: is where I spent most of my days. So everybody should know that song. And if they don't, they need to learn it absolutely. But um, yeah, Fresh Prince of Bel Air uh, was definitely my favorite. Um, but you'd man, I watched Nick at Night stuff all the uh, time. Yeah. Brady Bunch would come on at nine, and so I would uh, I would be like. Mom, I just want to watch one episode of the Brady Bunch, yeah. and then it would come on at nine thirty as well. And I'd be like, just one more episode of the Brady Bunch. So if I could get if I could get two out of it, that mean I I got to stay up till ten. Yeah. Um, but Brady Bunch came on, uh, which was a which was a good show. Um,
1: as far as like cartoons, I remember watching. I liked watching the Flintstones and Scooby Doo, and yeah. obviously uh, Barney. Oh, uh, we uh, yeah, yeah. Whenever me. I yeah, when like I was, when I was real
0: little, when right? I was like ten or eleven, <laughs> I really liked Barney. Uh, actually, no, you what's know, what's really excuse. bad? Okay, so this is really bad. Uh, whenever I was in middle school, you know, my mom, my mom worked. Yeah, you know, like all the you know, both my my stepdad and my mom were were working all throughout while I was going to school, um, and so you know I would ride the bus and things, and I would get home at yeah you know, we got out of school at two fifteen. I get home somewhere around 3 o'clock um, or maybe on a on a day off or a day that I was sick. I remember watching Blue's Clues yep. in middle school <laughs> alone I remember, eating cookie dough.
1: I remember watching Blue's Clues when I would stay home sick, but I don't remember if I was in middle school or yeah. not. I'd I basically
0: life. avoided my homework, uh, watched Blue's Clues, and ate cookie go- cookie dough out of a tub. Look,
1: there's nothing on in the middle of the day yeah so
0: i mean it's true it's like but if you're gonna avoid it, but you know uh things like um digimon would come on as well whenever i guess older a little bit older me was into dragon ball z um anime stuff and so i enjoyed that but i would say all if I, all over childhood um, favorite is fresh prince of bel-air
1: and power rangers
0: there was yeah power rangers whenever i was younger i had a lot tons of power rangers um, i'm sure that it'd you know. be
1: interesting to get my mom's perspective on this because it's like you know there's the things you grasp from your memory versus the things that like your parents are like oh my goodness you watch this over and over well, like my cousin like i wonder yeah. if uh, Sadie will remember how much she watches moana
0: so my cousins really rag me a lot and actually i own it now uh, my my Two of my cousins got me a copy uh, of this, but as whenever I was probably Sadie's age, I guess I hope it was whenever I was Sadie's age. <laughs> um, they they ragged on me for I watched over and over and over again. Um, it actually won some awards. I I, I can't remember what kind critically of awards. Critically acclaimed. It's critically acclaimed <laughs> in France. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not in English. Uh it's it's uh, a movie called The Red, red balloon. balloon. Yeah. <laughs> so I have I have a copy of The Red Balloon. It's a completely silent movie except for the music. And it's just a little boy chasing a red balloon. And I I remember I have this feeling of it. Like I whenever I think about it, I have a feeling deep down <laughs> of watching it. It's really surreal honestly to think about it. Uh like th- that's that thing that calls you back to when you were two year, like if you have anything that recalls you back to when you were two years old like there's this weird feeling that you have about it that you don't like you really can't put it into words that's how i felt about the red like that's how I, when i remember it that's how i feel about the. that red was balloon. like the
1: first thing your cousin told me when i met him was like so you've got yeah. to see the red balloon
0: <laughs> yeah they like to tell that story um but yeah my my parents have many embarrassing stories as well, so yeah, just like we all have, so yeah, true it's not just me, true um, all right,
1: let's do one more question, okay. they were gonna do a timely question, which is it seems like we're maybe starting to get the start of the the light at the end of the tunnel with quarantine, that maybe we you know things are opening up a little bit, so once things get to the point where they're more broadly opened, what is the what's something that you want to do? That you can't do in quarantine.
0: Man, obviously. Something that I wanna do that I can't do right now. Yeah. Uh because of quarantine. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I don't know. What is, what is yours?
1: Oh, there's a lot.
0: Okay. Like
1: I well first off I'd like to be able to just like go and hang out at my parents' house freely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um but I'd also like to have a babysitter and go. Hiking, go to the movies. like without in go to the movies, go yeah. eat out to like a good steak dinner. Basically, just like a a full day date.
0: Anything to get away from Caleb <laughs> and Sadie <laughs> would be great.
1: Um, just really, you know, like a a date day as opposed to just like a dinner date.
0: Yeah, the if we could go like even travel somewhere for a weekend. Yeah, that would be awesome. Which we really haven't gotten to do before, just yeah. by ourselves, but we thought we were kind of getting on the cusp we were, of that. We were starting then, to like
1: look into places to go, and then it's like, oh, we're shutting down everything.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So that's, that's probably what I would want to do. I think in general, though, what I'm really, it's, and I might have a chance to do this sometime next week, is go to Target by myself. Hmm. I mean, yeah. the kids aren't going into any stores or anything right now anyway, so, like, going to Target. But I haven't been into Target since, like, the middle of march and i love target so but sadie needs some more diapers so bet better go can't take those kiddos yet with me so yeah stay home with them and i'll be home from target in four hours
0: hmm. <laughs> yeah so did you have something else was that, that was my main thing oh, okay
1: did uh, you have anything uh, me. no like, as far as, did you think of something specific? No, I mean, or, I'm really
0: just thinking about going to the movies, but, like, nothing good has come out. Well, everything's, you know, everything's been, like, delayed, Yeah, everything's too. delayed, but, so, I would just like to be able to go to the movies, or, or really, like, I mean, I'm a very social person, so, not going mm. and hanging out with people has really bugged me. Yeah. Um, just, and, like,
1: doing the normal stuff, like, connect groups, and...
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I would Once. like to go camping with a group of people, but I just like it's just not necessarily feasible, I guess, right mm-hmm. now. So, like, I would, I, I would definitely like to do that and feel comfortable with like taking Caleb. Yeah. To go camping. Yeah. But like, I don't want to take Caleb camping by myself. I I think that would just end up being a bunch of work. <laughs> um, Feels a little too so, hard. So <laughs> and so, I would like to take Caleb camping with other people. So that's probably, I would probably like to do that. Yeah. Feel like we can actually go somewhere meaningful if we could actually go to the yeah Smokies or something.
1: Going back. Oh, the other thing is uh, Caleb going back to preschool. Mm -hmm. I'd like for that to happen. Yeah. Um. It's good for him. It's good for me. Yeah. It's good for everybody. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh let's jump into Nahum chapter two. But you want to do some recap?
0: Yeah. We before we go feet first into the into this death and destruction, um, just want to recap and remind. Uh, what the book of Nahum is about, uh, and who's who it's addressed to, who the, um, you know who who's the the subject, but who's the and then alternately who's the audience, and so I I just want to remind that I I think the audience is Judah, um, is the what's left over of Israel right now, um, Assyria had come through and just laid waste to, um to whole groups of people not just the israelites but israel the northern kingdom completely destroyed um down to its foundations um by the assyrians uh, there's also another city uh the city of thebes which was uh, a huge uh, egyptian hub uh, if not the capital um at the time uh, thebes was totally destroyed um by assyria and they like they basically just like I mean, this this metaphor will get used later, like locusts have just gone throughout all the nations and just destroyed everything. And they really had no compassion on anyone uh, during it. Um, and so that that went down. And what historically happens, um, and the, the story that kind of goes behind this, is that these two groups of people, the Medes and the Babylonians, they team up and get together. Both of them have been vassals uh, and under the oppression of Assyria and they team up and they've just been like we have we've had enough and they overthrow Assyria and they go uh, to Nineveh and just lay waste to Nineveh basically what Nineveh did to everybody else uh, Nineveh has done to to itself and so that's kind of the background behind it theologically Nahum again he's addressing he's giving this message that's the subject is Nineveh. He's giving that as a, the audience is Judah and Judah being oppressed. This is to them, all of this is good news. And so that's kind of how this last section ended. It's almost like Yahweh saying, I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go take care of Nineveh. I've had enough of the garbage. Um, I'm not going to put up with them behaving this way. Remember, Yahweh wanted to have compassion on Nineveh and he did in Jonah. Um, he wants to have compassion on them, but whenever they continue in their ways, he's not going to just let it go unpunished forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the judgment seems to be: I've had enough. He's coming down to deal with it. And Yahweh's like, it's it's being thrown down. I'm going to cut off your idols and your images and everything that you hold important is going to be thrown down. And the last line is: Look on the mountains, the one of the the uh, the feet of the one who brings good news. The one who proclaims peace, celebrate your festivals, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for he will not invade you again. The wicked one is cut off completely. And so this last one ends with this messenger coming over the hills and he's bringing the news of what has happened to Nineveh. And so what we're going to pick up with is kind of like this messenger's word. This is what happened. Mm -hmm. This is what happened to Nineveh. And so he's kind of giving that good news. And so this is not good news for Nineveh. It is good news for Judah that they have been delivered from their oppressor. Uh, It's not been Judah who's been the one to lay the hand to Nineveh. Instead, it's the Babylonians and the Medes. And so what will follow it will be that the Babylonians will rise up. And like tends to happen throughout history is the group of people that is oppressed, they rise up. They defeat their oppressors, and then they become oppressors themselves. Uh, and so that's kind of how the story goes. Uh, the Babylonians would then rise up. Uh, they would just become as bad or worse than the Assyrians, and then there, they end up translating into the the number one big bad in the whole Bible, um, you know, uh, as far as a group of people is concerned. So that's kind of where we pick up. So do you want to read? Yeah. You're going to read all of chapter 2? I'm going to read
1: all of chapter 2. All right, right, here we go. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress. Watch the road. Brace yourselves. Marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines. The shields of his soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of pine are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. He summons his picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open, and the palace collapses. It is decreed that the city be exiled and carried away. Its slave girls moan like doves and beat upon their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool, and its water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold, the supply is endless, the wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble, every face grows pale. Where now is the lion's den, the place where they fed their young, where the lion and lioness went, and the cubs with nothing to fear? The lion killed enough for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his lairs with the kill and his dens with the prey. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard.
0: Yeah, so remember, this is kind of like a... A messenger coming over the mountain again. He's bringing the good news. What is the good news? That Nineveh has been thrown right. down. Yeah, and it, it's like this. It's like this thing that's being written as the Babylonians are arriving at Nineveh. It's almost like he's got this picture, uh, like he's like first person. You've got like this person writing in the middle of this huge battle, and nobody's even paying him any attention. You know, like he's mm-hmm. like right in the middle of it, and he's. He's seeing the one who shatters has come up against you, guard the fortifications. He's kind of almost mocking Nineveh a mm-hmm. little bit, like this is all coming down on you. Well, you better do your best, you yeah, know, and you and can to, try
1: to defend yourself, but yeah, it's not really gonna, yeah. gonna work out.
0: And then but the so this kind of opening section is like, you know, gird your loins and muster all your strength. But Yahweh's gonna restore Jacob. And so part of this is there's kind of this aspect of um, Restoring Jacob and the majesty of Israel has more to do than just restoring Israel itself. It's also throwing down the oppressors. Right. Throwing down the yeah, people and, that have... And
1: I love that. I love that it's kind of placed in there after it's like, defend yourself, Nineveh. Like, good luck kind of thing. And that it's kind of thrown... right. It's, it is in the beginning, but it's just in the mix there of just like, yeah, this is a... This is a chapter of deliverance mm-hmm. for, you know, Israel. Yeah. So and
0: so just the same, I want to fast forward just a little bit, or not just a little bit. Fast forward <laughs> in the story of Jesus, and the, it's like this restoration with God can't happen until the oppressive uh, mm. aspects of sin is dealt with. Yeah. And so, like, I can't like Yahweh can't rule over his people uh, appropriately without dealing with the things that are ruling over them. You know, the things that are, that are, um, oppressing us, you know, in the way that the biblical authors would write, um, and what Jesus was doing is he's dealing with the powers of darkness of, of sex and power and greed and, um, and money, the things that are ruling over us, The what Jesus was doing was dealing with those powers, and he did that through his self-giving love on the cross. And that he, he shatters the powers of these dark rulers so that God's people can reign with him again and be with him and be reunited with him. That, like You have to deal with those rulers that we've given power over to um, and worshipped instead um, so that Yahweh can reign. And mm-hmm. so, it, and not that Yahweh not reigning; it's just like he's gr- getting his people back mm-hmm. from the from the darkness that has held them. Um, so it it's that I think that aspect of it is going here. Like so, he's got to deal with this oppressive nation, Nineveh, um, and Assyria. But there's another layer to it, is what I'm getting at, yeah. and what the the way that they would look back on this. That there's it's more than just Nineveh, more than just yeah. Assyria.
1: Some of the vivid language that I um, that sticks out to me in this chapter is in verse ten um, with specifically the like middle of it. Knees give way, bodies tremble, every face grows pale. And I can just so vividly see the faces of people when they're just like, you know, when you're just like stunned by something and mm-hmm. you can kind of feel yourself go, you know, white. Um, but just like knees give way it kind of reminds me of like every knee shall bow mm, mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of this idea of yeah every knee is going to bow because we're going to have some recognition one way or the other whether it's in like honor and reverence or if it's just like awestruck by yeah the power um you know that's overcoming these people of just like oh my goodness, who have we gone up against, Yeah, you know?
0: Well, and, like, if you think about your knee, like, from a battle stance, um, mm-hmm. the knee is just such a foundational point, you know, of where if your knee is giving way, you have no power. And so it's like all that power has been stripped from them, uh, that their yeah. knees are trembling and their hearts are faint. They have no hope. Um, it's all devastation. Right. Um with uh verse seven, it's interesting. I think your your says like the city is gonna be taken in, into exile or something like that. Yeah. Here, um, it's her goddess is taken into exile. Um, it says literally it is decreed that she be exiled and led away. Um, but it, regardless, it's of that which they worship, is taken into exile, and uh, there's the this aspect.
1: The city in mine is bracketed, kind of like yeah, yeah. Is yeah. This-
0: um, and so. It it seems to me that what's going on here is that by the destruction of Nineveh, and this this was pretty normal for ancient culture, um, that the destruction of a city or a group of people meant the destruction of their God. Um, that um so whenever Nineveh destroys Israel and almost completely destroys Judah, in their mind they thought that they have won over Yahweh.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: Yahweh was laid waste. Well, Yahweh is saying actually that's not true um I'm still here um and I'm dealing with you uh alternately, it seems that they are um this is highlighting that listen your your false god um is being taken into exile um and dealing with that um and and part of their their god was power and you know and that ability to um they they worshipped the ability to totally destroy people I mean um I'm sure I could take that to another level of what you know what their real God was or what I guess what they perceived as their is their true god but i it seems to me that Nineveh really really enjoyed um watching other people suffer at their hand because it made them feel powerful mm-hmm. and that is not necessarily unknown to us today um it's definitely known throughout the world uh, for different things. A lot of times we want to just push that to the side, pretend it doesn't exist. But even still, even in our daily lives, we know that there's people that have power that really enjoy to exercise their power uh just so that they can feel powerful. Um and so I think that's what Nineveh is, is that yeah. they've been behaving that way and now it's like you're you are being completely um taken over. And like so this whole chapter is just like all of these He's very descriptive on what this city looks like as it's going into chaos. Everything's just being laid waste. People running everywhere. Chariots don't know where they're going. Yeah. You know, and then this huge army's coming up. I
1: also thought it was interesting, the this section about lions mm-hmm. um, and how we were talking about this before um, we started the podcast and just how it's like um, kind of their symbol. Mm-hmm. None of us like symbol kind of like America has the, has like the bald eagle and stuff. Right. Um, so just kind of, uh, playing off of who they are, kind of their identity, you know.
0: Yeah, and and basically just being like, you were, you guys once went out, destroyed people, brought their carcasses home with mm-hmm. you, um, and look now, the lion has nothing left, and the lion is is Assyria. It's representative of Assyria the same way as you mentioned that. The bald eagle would be representative of, uh, you know, the United States in our day. Yeah. Um, That you would see those two things. So that whenever he does that little parable there um, or little imagery is that, hey, um, the lion has been been dealt with. Mm -hmm. Uh, That lion is Assyria.
1: I think the last thing that I'd like to mention about this chapter is, you know, the words, I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty, feels... A bit strong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so you you touched on this at the beginning of the podcast, but I'd just like to really reemphasize of what we learned in Jonah of God was like seeking out these people. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was pursuing them so hard that even when his prophet didn't want to go, he kept pursuing, like he kept making sure that somehow they were going to be pursued. Yeah. And um he just kept uh chasing them down out of compassion and love for them and wanting to give them an opportunity to have a relationship with him. So when I read these words I am against you, um if this was the only chapter I I read of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, does
0: it does anybody want to make a picture? Uh, that they want to hang like over their bed that says, <laughs> "I am against you," declares the Lord of hosts.
1: <laughs> right, that's Nahum two Yeah, <laughs>
0: 13. Nahum two thirteen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am against you, declares the Lord.
1: Um, but you know, I I think it reemphasizes why we're doing this podcast is, um, to help make sense of these things that are very hard to read in this strong language and just and and recognizing. God loves these people. He, mm-hmm. pursued, he did everything he could to pursue them and his patience with them of, you know, I think we said is like 100 years between Jonah and, and when Nahum is happening. It's like, I mean, he did not, I don't think that there's any part of him that is uh, happy that this is what it's come to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it's like because he's against, the Yahweh is against something means that he hates something. Right. Um, and, it it, and this isn't, we, we could take, we, if we only read Nahum, Mm -hmm. we could take it and be like, look, Yahweh hated Assyria. Yeah. Um, and, but that would be taking it out of its context, out of the book in the, the compilation that it's in that builds its theology, Mm -hmm. uh, and just completely undermining it. Yeah. And I, I think that's often what we do with a lot of other subjects. We do that with a lot of things where we take, you know, one section here, here and there. And we say, look, this is what Yahweh thinks about something, but we're not considering it in the whole, I, in the whole I picture. I think part
1: of that is because some of this language is so strong. Yeah. It just, it causes this churning in our stomachs of like, oh, I don't know how to deal with this. And we kind of forget everything else that we've read already. Yeah. Um, And so like just taking a step back, remembering what has happened uh, just really helps me out with some of this language. For a
0: group of people that something has been done to them the way that it's been done to Israel um, and that they have been utterly destroyed by Assyria, um, that whenever that kind of thing happens, this does not sound bad yeah at all i th- if we ha- if we struggle with this i think that that's that's our struggle that's something we've got to figure out how to yeah. deal with i i think that's it's really a first world prob mm-hmm. um that we don't know what it's like to be super oppressed we don't know what it's like to see somebody come into our town and say you know what that home that you bought that you live on right now that's mine and you know what you can go live in that shanty over there yeah, you know they don't. They don't know. Like we don't know what it's like to have that happen to us, and so, uh, there we really need to enter into this culture, enter into this timeline in order to understand what what's going on. And yeah. the fact is, is that Yahweh is executing justice, and Yahweh is the only being that can execute true true justice. And whenever if if it's me, if it's Garrett, uh, executing justice. Then I'm not I'm not able to see the full picture. I'm not able to see what's going on behind the scenes for this other person. And all often I'll I'll put my bias into it, mm-hmm. and then me trying to execute justice becomes an injustice in itself. And I think it, I mean we have to remember the only like the only being in this story that can execute true justice is Yahweh and. So, like, that's happening right now. Yeah. And we, you know, we, we trust in that. And also, we also have to remember how horrible these, this group of people has been um, to the Israelites, but not just the Israelites, but to everybody around them. So Nahum chapter 3. Woe to the city that has shed much blood. She is a deceiver. She is filled with plunder. She has hoarded her spoils of war. The crack of the whip, the rumbling of the chariot wheel, the galloping of the horse, the racing of the chariot. Chariots charge, swords flash, spears glitter. Many corpses are piled high. There is no end to the slain. They stumble over their dead. Because of the many idolatries of the prostitute, the beautiful charm of the mistress of witchcraft, She who enslaves nations by her 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 harlotries and peoples by her sorceries. Look, I am against you, declares Yahweh of hosts. I will strip you or I will strip up your skirts over your face and I will let the, the nations look at your nakedness. The kingdoms your shame. I will throw filth upon you. I will treat you with contempt. I will make you a spectacle and it will be that everyone who sees you will flee from you and they will say Nineveh is destroyed who will mourn her from whence shall i seek comforters for you so this
1: is a this is a hard section to read yeah. um just because of the violence the <laughs> the bodies uh piling up the you know i mean it's just Overall, a very difficult section to read.
0: It's incredibly uh, visual. Yeah, yeah. He he. Nahum seems to be more visual than any prophet that I've read so far. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that he describes it, you can almost see it. You know, it's like galloping horses and chariots, charge, swords, flash spears, glitter. You know, it's like this. Um, you know, you you. I I guess you kind of picture this uh, Lord of the Rings style. Huge, yeah. uh, um, huge siege, mm-hmm. you know, like on the siege of Minas Tirith, um, all the, you know, just the hordes of, um, people, um, that are taking over this, this group. Um, but yeah, and then chapter, or verse four here really picks up the, I think, what makes us uncomfortable, right? Yeah. So, you know, and I get, I guess what's going on here, I mean, he's comparing, um, He's comparing Nineveh, um, the Assyrians to a prostitute, uh, you know, a, a somebody that practices witchcraft and what would happen. Um, he says that I'm against you and I'm gonna pull, I'm gonna strip your squir- skirts up over your face. I will let the nations look on your nakedness and kingdoms your shame. So, I think you you had something you wanted to kind of cover with this. Yeah,
1: or, I mean, when I when I read that for the first time, it just made me really uncomfortable, and yeah. I I mean, I think um you know in a time where we've had a lot of like i think when you read uh particularly in verse 5 and you think about where just like our um i don't know how to the right word for it just like when you think about current day like our climate and society
0: yeah
1: um that feels like really dirty language yeah and it just it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way when i read it and yeah. um but I'm not reading it through the eyes of what like the culture of the day in the scripture was. And I'm not re when I think of it in different ways. And I'm also not reading it. um, You know, just like reading it in their culture and reading it from what the like root Hebrew, you know, like, well, it's really like, who's he
0: addressing here? Who's being treated this way? It's, I mean, this, this isn't, you know, innocent girl on the street right that he's being like, "I'm gonna display your Lick, nakedness Lick, you know yeah. and I think that's what it makes us feel like and yeah. whenever we read it, what it makes us think of and i I don't really think that's what's going on here I think this is this is a very evil group of people mm-hmm. um that has done nothing but oppress those around them. I cannot emphasize that enough about mm-hmm. this book, yeah um of how bad the Assyrians were to Yeah, people. and that's
1: what's so interesting to mm. me is like I've read this section and I'm already like I'm already forgetting, you know, when I read that it, yeah. it it affects me in some odd way that I'm like I'm already forgetting who these people are that this is, you know, happening to. Yeah. But um just in general of of realizing that this is kind of revealing someone's true Yeah. um being of kind of just revealing, um, making somebody uh, vulnerable with who they really are.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like it's So the word here is, uh, "Look, I am against you." declares the declares Yahweh of hosts. I will strip you, strip up your skirts over your face. That strip um, is the word gala. It's to unveil. I'm I'm uncovering. I'm peeling back the curtain um, mm-hmm. and showing you the true self. So it's it's like this idea of this masquerade, you know everybody's pretending um to be one thing, and he's pulling off the mask and showing them for what they truly are and so Assyria has been like this big bully on the playground that has been just terrorizing all the other kids um and the way like I think what we've started to understand of like people like that or kids like that is like those those kids are being mean to other kids because they're actually like the most insecure people out there mm-hmm. you know they're like they're they have a ton of insecurities and like that you know, if you were to peel it back peel back all the all the heart and all the things that are going on you'd see something different yeah um and so now assyria is kind of put in that place is like you they've been these big bullies um and god is peeling that back and showing them for what they really are and he's being like you know what. Comparative to my power you're nothing, yeah, um, and you guys have just been nothing but acting like you're the biggest, baddest people out there, but here's your true self, your true self is something much less than that, mm-hmm. um and you know you're not as far- as long as I'm here you're not going to continue behaving this way, and so the idea here is that he's peeling, he's peeling back the curtain and show it. It's like the Wizard of Oz, you know. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the great and powerful Oz, you know, and you mm-hmm. see this big, magnificent face and things that's going on there. But who is he really? Well, he's really that dude back there behind the cor- behind the curtain. Yeah. Um and so this is kind of what's happening there that curtains kind of being pulled to the side and you're seeing Oz for who he truly is.
1: I also kind of um with the word nakedness take it back to Genesis and just how originally in creation you know Adam and Eve were they had felt no shame in their nakedness and I think it's because they were just two image bearers of God. Mm-hmm. Um and so you just got to see they were able to just see each other as God saw them and how things were meant to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I don't know. I just kind of think, you know, they've that the the people of Nineveh have kind of taken that image of God and just tainted it. And uh, this is revealing that.
0: Yeah. And so, and then the story of Genesis, whenever they do, when they go a different, when they go their own way, their eyes are open and they see each other for who they truly are. And then, Mm -hmm. and then like, or, or see each other in a way that they recognize the vulnerability they have between each other. Mm -hmm. And that like, actually you see things a little bit differently than I do. So now I've got to put this barrier up and I've got to protect myself from you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they, they are completely vulnerable to one another. And so now this is kind of being like, look, I'm unveiling this. You're actually, um very vulnerable, yeah, now, because like whenever you're in my presence you're you know i I could do anything mm-hmm. um your power is nothing compared to the power of Yahweh, yeah, um, so
1: that was just I think that's a verse that we talked about the most, um just because it's just i don't know that language can just be hard to to wrestle with, especially like given where our culture is now, um but i hope hopefully that makes.
0: Yeah, a little more and, sense. of And things. I, I want to get a sense here of what the people around them are thinking. Verse seven, it's like it'll be it'll be that everyone who sees you will flee from you, and they will say, "Nineveh is destroyed. Who will mourn her?" Like so, there's not even anybody that's going to be sad that she's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Nineveh has been destroyed. Nobody's going to be sad for it, and there's going to be nobody there that's going to be willing to comfort them. Yeah, um, uh, which interesting. There's that comfort again. Uh, that's Nahum. Oh yeah. It there's it uh, from whence will I seek Nahum for you? Uh, so that's fun. I I enjoy that that little line that that ends that little section is actually his own name. So you want to uh, finish this?
1: All right, I'm gonna start in verse eight and finish the the chapter in the book. Are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile with water around her? The river was her defense; the waters her wall. Cush and Egypt were her bound boundless strength. Put and Libya were among her allies, yet she was taken captive and went into exile. Her infants were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. Lots were cast for her nobles, and all her great men were put in chains. You too will become drunk. You will go into hiding and seek refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees. With their first ripe fruit, when they are shaken, the figs fall into the mouth of the eater. Look at your troops. They are all women. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has consumed their bars. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your defenses. Work the clay, tread the mortar, repair the brickwork. There there the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you down and, like grasshoppers, consume you. Multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like locusts. You have increased the number of your merchants till they are more than the stars of the sky. But like locusts, they strip the land and then fly away. Your guards are like locusts. Your officials like swarms of locusts that settle in the walls on a cold day. But when the sun appears, they fly away and no one knows where. O king of Assyria, your shepherds slumber. Your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal your wound. Your injury is fatal. Everyone who hears the news about you claps his hands at your fall for who has not felt your endless cruelty.
0: So that just continues uh, this theme of the destruction. This opening, I guess eight, so this this group of people, the Thebes, comes up. So uh, Thebes was, uh, I, I think it was the capital city of Egypt. I'd have to fact check myself on that one. Uh, but they were totally destroyed by Assyria. Um, and so this is describing what Assyria did to Thebes Mm -hmm. and it's saying, are you any better than them? This is actually what you did to them is happening to you now. Um, and so it's, it's that this, you brought this on yourself. Like why, why should you fare any better than Thebes did whenever you destroyed them? Now the Babylonians are coming and destroying you. And guess what? They're going to do to you exactly what you did to Thebes. Um and so this is I mean and this is hard I mean but again this was Assyria who dashed their children you know their infants to pieces in the streets, this was Assyria that did that, um and so it, it's saying, you know this is, this is hard for you to go through uh, you know but this is exactly what you did to Thebes um so, why would you get <laughs> any relief um from this um so that that's hard that's difficult mm-hmm. um but this is just explaining the facts of what um that right there is just a section of what did they actually do to Thebes mm-hmm. not necessarily what was happening to Assyria although it seems that the same thing happened to Assyria yeah um and so it's like they're going into um they're going to be attacked just like Thebes was um and you know, he starts comparing, he uses a lot of imagery here at the end of what uh, their troops are like, what their fortifications are like. You know, their fortifications are compared to fig trees. Like if you were to just shake the fig tree and all the, the ripe fruit just falls out of it. Like that's how, um, you know, their fortifications are compared to ripe fruit that falls from trees. Um, so really interesting. Um, and, you know, he's telling them, go ahead you know, strengthen your fortifications, but you, you're going to get consumed. Fire will consume you. The sword will cut you off and consume you like locust, which then picks up the last set of imagery mm-hmm. of what he compares them to. So locust just had a tendency to just come into the area, you know, totally destroy it and then just get up and move on to the next area. And just, and you would like not know what ha- I mean, like it'd be huge hordes. So mm-hmm. you'd see them coming. Um, but there's nothing you can do about it. They would just come and destroy your fields, take all your food, eat all your food, and then they'd just get up and go and you'd be like, What the heck just happened? Um and so he compares um their consuming to a swarm of locust. Um but uh he also compares them um to the locust. He's like, mm-hmm. You're you're you guys are just like the locust, uh, you know. It it says it's interesting he uses phrases here for what is used for Abraham. Uh it says you have increased your merchants more than the stars of heaven. Yeah. That's a that's a quote from a promise um that God gives to Abraham that his descendants will be more than the stars of heaven, more than the stars of the sky. Um so instead Nineveh has increased increased its merchants. Uh, more than the stars of heaven. A lot of good it did them whenever everything went bad. They shed their skin and flew away. <laughs> um, and so basically it's just like you guys are just like your commanders are worthless. They flew away at um, you know, the littlest inkling of fear of like things weren't going right. And so now everything is gone.
1: Leaving your, leaving your people leaderless. Yeah.
0: I yeah. mean it's just like a, a swarm of locusts has come and sat down. Settled, eaten, and then just flown off, and then there's nothing left. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what the imagery that's used here.
1: I feel like the most interesting verse of this section is the very last verse mm. of Nothing can heal your wound. Your injury is fatal. Everyone who hears the news about you claps his hand, hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? And when I read that, I, I mean, I instantly was thinking of. Hitler, Osama mm-hmm. bin Laden, um Saddam Hussein and how people some people might have had like a weird, sad feeling, but I, I feel like there was a lot of people who were super happy about the downfall of well, this man obviously. Yeah, like, I remember I mean, when, it when it Osama bin Laden
0: was killed and you know, it was really hard to figure out what the right reaction to was yeah. with, with it. But there were tons of people that we're just excited with joy over it yeah. you know and it's like you know it's really hard to figure out what to, you know how to respond to what the to right
1: reaction is to
0: a human life being taken that yeah. we see as valuable because it's made in the image of God um while also being you know happy that it's like hey this dude that killed a bunch of images of God you know that that is being dealt with um and so there's the the two uh I guess those are kind of intention a little bit. How do you deal with that? Yeah. But the point here is that the king of Assyria has been so bad that uh, there's, like, they're going to clap their hands with joy all over the world Yeah. Uh, with the fact that he's been thrown down. Um, and,
1: and I think something, this is also something else we talked about beforehand, was just like this idea of, I think if this was a movie, we would probably be clapping right along with them. Yeah. You know, if we had seen how everything had played out, yeah, um, like it's
0: it's so this is the this is the Thanos th- scene of I am inevitable. Snap, right? You know, and it it is just that that's the feel. Like whenever, if if we're gonna compare it to something that we might would know in the last few years, I guess. Right. is It's just, you know, like, it, it, it's silly, but, like, that's what we use movies for, is to try to get that out of us, mm-hmm. um, is that, you know, this is like Thanos, man. The dudes come in and destroyed everything, and you're like, what are we going to do about Thanos? And it's like, we can't do anything about Thanos. Mm-hmm. And then, like, mm-hmm. so then you have this group of people that rises up and tries to deal with that, and then it's that throwdown, of thanos it's like yes you know like Mm -hmm. we would be excited about it if you watch this in a movie you would be pumped that the king of assyria is dead yeah um and and so that's something we've got to really deal with within ourselves when if we struggle with books like this because it's in the bible
1: we're reading it and we're like oh i don't know if i can uh i'm not sure if i can handle that but then in the same exact thing it's like we would be like Yes, the bad guy is gone in a movie. Yeah, no, uh, Gladiator
0: Gladiator is a great one. Um, you know, with uh, Commodus, you know he's just such a good villain. Mm. Um, and the way that he, you know, you know that he deals with Maximus and stuff, and you're just like, I, you know, how do you like you hate him so much? Throughout the whole movie, because you're like you have power, you don't deserve power, you know, like you killed your dad and he was nice uh, in the movie, and you know finally having that relief of that he you know he kills Commodus, um, everybody's cheering for that, um, that 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 type of um, that that type of ruler gets thrown down, you know, so think about it like that. If you've yeah. ever watched Gladiator, this is a great that's a great I think analogy for me um
1: and honestly i kind of feel like if if in some of these movies if they were shown mercy it, it would almost be kind of like
0: a anti-climatic a, yeah yeah
1: like and you know but yet we want to see that in the bible yeah you know i don't know that's just kind of yeah interesting.
0: um so I, I i think ultimately like we really have to struggle with ourselves on how because in the culture that we live in we have to recognize it's very different from the culture that this is coming from. Yeah. Um, and we have to wrestle with that and we got to try to understand that. And, um, and also recognize that, Hey, you know, like we do, we live in a really cush culture.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, and so we don't, we haven't had to fear. And honestly, this, I think this whole book, um, is a really big challenge to us, uh, in, in our lifetime. Um, if we think about the superpowers of the world, uh, the United States has been, if, if not the superpower, it's close to, you know, it's it's as close to the superpower, I guess, as we can get mm-hmm. right now. Um, This is a challenge to the superpowers of the world of like, listen, you mistreat people. You do things, you know, this way. I'm not going to put up with it forever. Mm-hmm. And so this is supposed to be a challenge to us of being like, you know, how do we make sure that we don't become these people? Yeah. Um. And, you know, maybe there's a lot of people that were just ignoring things that were going on because, hey, life here in Nineveh is pretty cush. Yeah. Even though there's lots of death and destruction that's going on outside of Nineveh that they don't know about or that they just don't care. Yeah. Um, And so I think this is a real challenge for us as a nation um, and something that we need to listen more to Um. If we're gonna be honest with it, and just recognize that, listen, Yahweh's no chump, and he's not going to put up with us, being, you know, allowing injustices to go on, um, you know, and, and us not standing up for people, um, so I, I think there's that challenge in this book, um, that we ignore a lot. Yeah. Um.
1: So I think we've got it in the book, the way that we end all the books. Okay. So what was your favorite part or um something that stood out to you the most of Nahum?
0: Um so I I think for me going back up I, it's going to be in chapter 1. I I think chapter 2 and 3 are very interesting from their um their visual perspective and challenging me um mm-hmm. to think differently about uh about Yahweh as a righteous judge. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that can actually execute this justice. Uh, in the way that oh one other note before i get to that oh yeah i will say um one thing to remember that i think i mentioned this in the first podcast judah does not rise up to execute this justice this is mm-hmm. not judah's role yeah. this role is yahweh is he uses babylon yahweh is the only one that can execute this justice of chapter two and three he's the only one that can write that can do it if Garrett gets involved with it and he thinks that I Garrett thinks he knows the right way to do it, it's probably not the right way to do it necessarily. I'm always biased, um, and so the, you know, vengeance is Yahweh's, which is what this the first chapter talks about. That it belongs to him. It's his. He's the master of it. He's the only one that can that can execute it fairly, um, and so I think we have to to submit to that. Um, I'm going to say as far as. Um, what my favorite part of this is, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I think this is the theology of the book, uh, and you know where Nahum is going. It's a verses chapter one verses seven and eight. Yahweh is good, a refuge in the day of distress. He knows those who take refuge in him, but with a rushing torrent, he will bring. Well, really, he will bring to an end. Uh, Nineveh is supplied there. Uh, but with a rushing torrent, he will bring to an end. He will chase his enemies into darkness. Um, and so it's that twofold aspect of it, that Yahweh is going to take care of the one that oppresses his people, and he's going to protect and be a refuge for those that trust in him. Um, and I think I think that's the theology of the book and, you know, a big part of who is Yahweh, mm-hmm. what is he like. Uh, to me, that's the takeaway, um, is that Yahweh is good, he's a refuge, for those that trust in him, um, and alternately, for those that are oppressing his people, he's going to chase them into the darkness.
1: Yeah, which kind of goes back up to verse 3 of the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Yeah. So just all tying tying it all in and yeah. who the, the character of God is. Yeah. Um, for me, I think it's uh, <laughs> my mom is going to probably know what this is going to be, and you, I mm-hmm. think, already knew what this was going to be. Um, But chapter one, verse 15, look there on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. And I just love, um, you know, I I talked last week about kind of falling in love with this image of mountains in the Bible and um, just how Good news in the Bible seems to always come from the mountaintops um, when you have uh, a covenant being made uh, with God on the mountain, and Moses brings that that promise down. And then here um, in Nahum, we have this idea of of someone saying Nineveh is going to be destroyed, mm-hmm. of a of a messenger coming and and saying, you know, this oppressor is going to be dealt with, is done. Um and then fast forwarding to Jesus, um, dying on a cross on a hillside, um, and and what that death and resurrection means for us, um, and our salvation and all of this is just the bringing of good news from the mountaintops and I just love how that theme is carried across. Uh, carried across scripture and it was cool to be able to see it here in Nahum.
0: Yeah. And so, and this good news. So to fast forward to Jesus and what you just talked about chapters two and three, I want you to see chapters two and three are being executed, not on Nineveh, but on the sins of the world on the cross of Calvary, Mm -hmm. um, that all of this utter destruction and complete devastation, uh, is done to that which, that which we have given our power over to Jesus takes care of that on the cross and that it's for the forgiveness of sins. And he's mm-hmm. dealing with sins um, and dealing with the thing that oppresses us. Chapters two and three is what is utterly done uh, to sin and the dark powers um, on the cross of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And he does it through his self giving love. And, and so all of this executing justice is done uh, in Jesus' mind, he does it by submitting himself to the cross, uh, and then through that, new creation can begin, which starts with his resurrection.